father's lightsaber. What? Lightsabers, precious? Lord of the Rings, the Star Wars Insightful Podcast, where you waste time on fictional wikis. I'm Ryan. And I'm Joanna. Thank you for bearing with us last week when our buddy Kylo Ren either stepped in or hijacked the signal, depending on how you look at it. He's no buddy of mine. He's a bad guy. Yeah, he was uh, kind of a stinker. I was in New York City. You were. NYC, the Big Apple. Hey, I'm walking here. So I was attending the uh, Tolkien exhibit that they have at the Morgan. Tell me more. Again. Well, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you more, but it's going to be next week. Because next week, uh, dearest Ryan is going to be in Florida with his family. Sunny Florida. He's not doing anything podcast the big related. big tangerine. He's just having a good time. Hey, I'm relaxing here. So I think it's clear which of us is the more dedicated. Margaritaville. So I'm going to tell you more about the exhibit, which was colorful and informative and interesting and um had some weird people in it because it's new york so of course there's going to be weird people so uh i will i will tell you more next week but for now for now what for now star wars news was what i was going to say no you weren't you yes, were, I, I saw you ready to click something on a computer no for now it was star wars news bull honky what do you got all right just briefly We've talked about The Mandalorian, the new yes. TV show coming out, John Favreau. We talked about how, how Taika Waititi was attached to it, and we figured it was some sort of like directing role or acting role, maybe both. And we know at least one of those roles is going to be a voice role. This is the headline that I saw online, and I gotta say, friends, it's a little misleading. Taika Waititi is voicing a beloved murder droid in The Mandalorian. A beloved murder droid? Now, we've talked about this murder droid uh, in our podcast. Do you remember his name? He was, there's four of him. He uploaded himself to was the Death Star. Was he the Star. one who was going to try and use the Death Star to like kill everything? Yeah, but then he got yeah. shut down at the very last minute? Yes. This article supposes he's going to be playing IG-88. Now- Is that true? Well, here's the deal. Also, Beloved might be a bit of a stretch. Beloved by a very specific subset hey man, of the population. I love IG-88. Don't kill me, IG-88, when you take over. Uh, no, but it's a, he's voicing a droid, an assassin droid of IG-88's caliber the way we know is because john favreau posted a picture to his instagram of taika in studio looking at a screen with one of those ig units on the screen now this article assumes he's ig88 but eagle-eyed fans of star wars might notice that this is not exactly ig88's model if anything this is maybe an ig86 i would say like oh my god that's a completely different one well okay so ig88 has a real narrow head it's like a real skinny head now ig86s and other versions 87s have a bit more of a bulbous oh my god it's not nearly as narrow hello it's so obvious hello i mean i was kind of like oh that'd be funny because like ig88 in the story we read we told you he was like a real badass right he's kind of like a like a murderous like you know oh yeah he just want to kill everything so I'm guessing this can, be, this can be a bit more of a, a quirky IG unit. An assassin droid yet, but maybe a little less of a serious pants than IG-88. You're just basing that on the fact that Taiko Waititi is funny. I am, but You're I- You're like basically pigeonholing him to like, oh, he only does comedy. He can't do a serious role. I mean, he could. Like an IG but, unit that wants to murder everybody. That's beyond his range. Could, would, I mean, you, Ryan, I'm joking. But Joanna, Joanna, can you imagine the Death Star 2 talking like Taiko Waititi? On the Death Star. I mean, now I'm you're gonna, just making fun of New Zealand people. It's me, the Death Star. You're like saying that their accent is like inherently comical. I'm going to kill all humans. All living things. 
It's gonna be me, the Death Star. I mean, yeah, I guess you have a point there. It's me, IG-88. I created for myself. I guess you have a point there. When is the show coming out? Sometime. Sometime, <laughs> yeah. No, it's supposed to be September 2019. That's like the closest guess. Okay. Coming out soon. We'll see. I it's mean, gonna be on Disney's new streaming service after they pull everything out of Netflix and Hulu are and all that. Are you going so. to be downloading the Disney streaming service? I might watch The Mandalorian, to be honest. Mm, that's what they want you to do. Or I'll pirate it. Sorry, Mickey. Arrabast. It's me, Jack Sparrow. Where's the rum gone? I'm a Disney hey, pirate. you wouldn't steal a purse. You wouldn't steal a car. But I downloaded one. But I would definitely download one for free. So. That's my Star Wars news. All right. Good Star Wars news. Yeah. I just, I wanted to clear the air because I don't like these sources telling us that Taika's going to voice IG-88 when he's probably not. He's probably not. What do you have to learn to me today? Are you, I know we're continuing a story. We are continuing a story. Um, so I'm going to, I'm going to play you a musical sting. This isn't by Sting. No, it's not, is it? It's by Sticks. <laughs> a musical Sticks. So this is the song for this week. I decided to give old Christopher Cross a bit of a break. Yeah, we had a lot of uh, yacht rock this time. Now we're going to more of a uh, stadium glam area. Yeah, so this, as young people on the internet say, or maybe said like a year ago, is the big mood. Oh, is it? It's the big mood. Now, if you remember where we left off last week, you may be thinking... Wait a second. I thought Aldarian gave up sailing for wedded bliss with Orendus. I thought he would never leave home again. If you were thinking that, it's because you're stupid. It's also because you don't remember the other episode where we talked about him leaving after his kid's birthday. Right. <laughs> like so. You were just not paying attention. There's no excuse for that. I told you this was going to be a hellish engagement. So that also should have been a hint that Aldarian's sailing days were not quite behind him. So this is Aldarian and Orendus's part two. It is. To carry on. But he, he doesn't. He doesn't try to carry on? No, I mean, he, he tries he, to carry he on. He bails a lot. Like. He bails a ton. He doesn't try that hard, to be honest. Okay, so, right from the beginning, Orendus was pretty trepidatious about this whole getting engaged to Aldarian thing, rightly believing that she would have to compete with his other mistress, the sea. Yeah, we talked about that last time. Yeah, and Orendus didn't particularly like the sea. Orendus liked trees. And since- Trees don't grow in no seas. Well, no, they don't. And also, Aldarian was cutting down like hundreds and hundreds of trees to make boats. So you can see why this would stick in Orendus' metaphorical craw. Sure, she's a, she's a tree hugger and he's a tree- Cutter. Cutter. Yeah, so, but like so many poor, misguided women before her, Arendus tried super hard to be the supportive girlfriend by pretending to be into whatever her man was into, even though she hated it and it made her throw up in her mouth. Fake geek girl. Yeah, you know, it's like kind of like when I pretended to be a lot more into video games than I actually am. Don't do that. Hey, girls. Hey, don't. Don't do that. Do it. Don't do that. It never comes to any good, I promise you. Do it. Aldarian was like... Hey, we're engaged now. Let's go on a little voyage to celebrate. And Tolkien writes that, quote, To this, Arendus consented, concealing her distaste and fear. She really didn't like boats, huh? She didn't like them. She didn't like them. If there's anything you should know from this story, it's that people in Numenor were very hot and cold on boats. Mm. You either loved them or you hated them. There was nobody who was just kind of like blase. You're an island nation. You gotta enjoy them sometimes. Uh, Arendus did not. So Which, Arendus was, what was, was that, like, like motion sickness or something? Like, what's her deal? She just did not like them. Um, right. but, but she concealed that fact. So outwardly, she was like, oh my God, sailing is my favorite thing, babe. How did you know? Ha ha. Ha ha. Oh no. 
So they sailed to the west side of the island and they held a massive engagement feast. And during the feast, Aldarion toasted Arendus. He Set her on fire. Toasted, baby. He, toasted, he roasted her. Roasted. Yeah. It was like the, the, the New York Friars Club roasted Arendus. <laughs> this bitch loves trees. So he was like, let's all drink to Arendus, or as I like to call her, Ueniel, daughter of Uenin, the spirit of the sea. Wow, nice. She's my, my sea goddess, my little sea goddess. And she's like, Hi, yeah, honey. yeah, I love it. Well, yeah, that I was actually the sea. It's great. a bridge too far for Arendus because she just openly snapped, call me by no such name. I am no daughter of Uenin. Rather, she is my foe. Whoa. Yeah. So That's not just like distaste. It's just full on hatred. She of just the hated sea. it. Yeah, she hated the sea. If she could have killed the sea, like you would have found her on the beach just chucking spears into the water. Stabbing the sand. She just hated it. So this engagement is off to a promising start. After this engagement party, Arendus pointed out that fair's fair and Aldarian had to come do her favorite thing now, which was looking at trees. So she took him to Amerie, the land of forest sheep and rolling pastures. This, incidentally, is where she would later raise their daughter on Kalime after Aldarian took off. Oh, the sheep connection, I yes, see. Yes, okay. that's skipping ahead a bit. Anywho, while she and Aldarian were looking at the trees, Arendus straight up told him, I will not share my husband with Lady Uenin. Ooh. To which Aldarian replied, quote, This is a twisted saying. As well might I say that I would not share my wife with the Lord Orme of Forest because she loves trees that grow wild. Oh. To which Arendus replied, Yeah, no shit, you won't shimmer with the forest because you're chopping them all down, Delweed. Yeah, seriously. To which Aldarian replied, quote, Name any tree that you love and it shall stand till it dies. To which Arendus replies, Okay then, I love every single tree on this island. She said that? She did. Wow. She did. She's a big heart. Uh, to which Aldarian was like, lol, nice try. I'm still going to chop these suckers down. Still going to chop these suckers down. Actually, though, he didn't say anything. He just got super pissed. And they rode back from the forest in silence. I can't believe my woman's trying to get me to stop chopping down trees. No. This little ball and chain. I don't mean to be like a relationship expert, but these there's a lot of red flags here. And I feel oh, like- Oh, yeah. Like, like, they're just fundamentally incompatible, There's a lot right? of deal breakers here that I feel like they need to recognize. Oh, yeah. But do you think they recognize them? No, of course not. They do not. They do not. Uh, actually, after this, Arendus complained about Aldarian to her mom, and her mom talked to Aldarian's mom, and both of them became worried that this marriage was going to fall through. Well, they were they were on the right track. They were on the right track. They probably should have just let it, right? But instead, they worked their momly magic and managed to reconcile Aldarian and Arendus. Aldarian and Arendus went on a couple's hiking trip up Minotarma. Presumably, some eagles stared at them, and everything seemed to be going at least tentatively well. Before too long, Aldarin and Arendus had been engaged for three years, and that was about the maximum in terms of socially acceptable engagement periods on Numenor. They're just really putting it off because they they got so much... I mean, they've already been putting it off for decades and decades. Right. So I think maybe in their heart, they knew that this was going nowhere good. Uh, unfortunately, right around this time, Aldarian happened to be standing on a bluff... And he caught sight of the sea, and the sea longing came over him again, which goes to prove the famous saying, women, don't let your men stand on bluffs. So are you saying he didn't look at the ocean for three years? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he's like, I know if I look at the ocean, it's going to happen again. I know yeah. it's going to happen again. It's like uh, a recovering alcoholic where it's like, I can't go to a bar with my friends who are going to be drinking. I know it's going to happen again. Right. So you'd be like, hey, hey, Rendis, you want to like go to the beach this week? He's like, no, 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 we definitely can't. We definitely can't go to the beach. The beach... Is, uh, it's canceled. The whole beach has been canceled. It's been canceled. It's got bugs. We have to go somewhere inland. Yeah, sorry. Always. Always inland. Always with sheep. 
Yes. With lots of walls blocking your peripheral vision, so you can't see the ocean beyond. And absolutely zero bluffs. No bluffs. Bluffs are the enemy. Bluff a free zone, please. Unfortunately, Eldarion did stand in a bluff and did see the sea. What a tool. So he then went and told his father that 18 years was too long a time to be away from the sea, and that he needed to go on a voyage, like, right now, immediately. Meneldur was like, you can't do that, you're engaged to Arendus. To which Eldarion replied, Arendus doesn't own me, God! Just, like, go to do some loops on your jet ski or something, you don't have to go on a full voyage. Um, I'm, I mean, I think you'll find that he did. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, to Arendus's face, he tried to be a little more conciliatory. He was like, girl, you can come with me. I'll make you a boat literally fit for a queen. This is like, again, when my ex-boyfriend convinced me to drive him to New York to play video games with his friends and somehow insisted it was going to be fun for me too. You mean it wasn't? That sounds great. It was the worst. It was literally the worst. And Arendus, just like me, said, I'd literally rather die. Well, good thing she said it outright. I mean... Yeah, yeah. I mean, she literally said, if you take me out on that boat, I I will die. I will die. That's how much she hated it. Wow. So, Aldarian left Arendus behind for six years, despite her tears, and despite his parents and a large portion of his subjects being extremely pissed about it. I mean, honestly, it doesn't sound like a big loss. He's gone for six years. That's six years she doesn't have to deal with his dumbass... Running, chop down trees and look at the ocean and. I mean, fair enough, fair enough. But they they were engaged. I mean, rightfully, she was supposed to be like his wife and queen, and I guess she just loved the big lug. I can fix him. I know I can. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of her attitude. She 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 saw herself as in competition with the sea, and she was like, "I'm gonna win, girl. You will not win. You no will way. not win." So, um, even the gods seem to be pissed at Eldarion's stupid decision here. So, remember when I told you about that branch that Numenorean sailors would have on their boats as like a good luck charm, and how it thrived on sea air and would never yes, wither? Yes. Okay. Well, this time it did. Oh, withered. It withered. Uh, in fact, it totally frosted over and died. What happened? It just died. It just frosted over and died. And the one who hung that branch on the boat had been horrendous, so... Well, that's a real bad omen, I'd say. Yeah. That's the kind of symbolism even a willfully stupid yacht bro like Eldarion couldn't miss. Yeah, and how embarrassing of a big dead twig on the front of your boat. Yeah. I have to imagine he just kind of like surreptitiously chucked it into the sea right before they got into port. Yeah. <laughs> your branch, horrendous? Oh, yeah. It, it we lost it. Served, we lost it. We don't know where it went. We planted it somewhere. Now it's a beautiful tree, yeah. dear. Watered I don't know the, much you love those. The seas of our love. When he got back to Numenor, he's like, I guess I better marry Arendus. Like, actually, for real. So he did. Get it over with. Pull that band-aid off. Yep, they finally got, they finally ripped off the band-aid, took a good deal of scar tissue with it, left a big festering gaping wound in the form of, it was a total banger. Even the elves attended, and they gave Arendus a pair of magical birds. Well, those guys know how to party. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Oh, what did you bring? A pound of blow? I brought some magical birds. Sick. Sick. Uh, Aldarion, they gave a special sapling tree. And Aldarion, being Aldarion, his first comment was like, wow, the wood from this tree would probably be super valuable, huh? I sure can make a boat out of this. And the elves were like, uh, maybe? We really don't cut these down and use them for wood. It's kind of more of a plant and look at tree, not a chop down and use for industry tree. Yeah, so they give Eldarion a rare elven sapling that literally does not exist anywhere else on Numenor, and Eldarion's just thinking like, imagine the boats you could make out of this! 
is. He's such a tool. Just bad sign after bad sign. You know, like, these two are not meant for each other, but I feel like a lot of the blame falls on him. You he's think a, so? You're so, so, team horrendous in this argument? He's so single-minded and such a dang doofus. Kind of. Yeah, kind of. Um, two years after their marriage, horrendous gave birth to their daughter on Kalime. And again, like many misguided women before her, she thought that this would force Aldarian to stick around for the sake of their kid, if for no other reason. Save the marriage. Yes. Again, Arendus was grossly underestimating how dumb Aldarian was. So even as she raised their infant daughter, she noticed that Aldarian was building just like a lot, a lot of ships all of a sudden. Well, that doesn't happen all of a sudden. I feel like that's... Building ships doesn't happen overnight. I mean, he just suddenly started really picking up the pace of his shipbuilding. Okay. And she was like, ha ha, what's that about? You're killing a lot of trees to make boats again, ha <laughs> ha. And he was like, don't worry about it, babe, it's cool. Yeah, don't worry, it's for my friend, it's... From a cousin Steve, it's fine. But it wasn't cool, and it wasn't for his cousin Steve. Because just after Ancolome's fourth birthday, Aldarian took off again. What a tool! Yeah, now, we've sort of discussed this period before. So, Arendis moved back to Amerie, the place with all the forests and the sheep, mm-hmm. and raised her daughter in a household comprised entirely of women that made men's testicles ascend into their chest cavities whenever they got near. They were By scary the way, ladies. They were scary ladies. Scary, a house full of scary ladies. By the way, soon after Arendus and Ancalime moved to Amerie, Arendus woke up to the sound of two birds singing, and it was the birds the elves had given her as a wedding present. Those who know how to party! Yeah, they do! Uh, and, but Arendus kind of broke the party up, because annoyed, she told the birds to shut up and go away, and they promptly did that. Oh, they're smart, okay. Yeah, they stopped okay. singing, and they flew away, and Arendus never saw them again. That's a good symbol of their marriage. Yeah, Tolkien's all about symbolism in this story. Yeah, it's on the nose. <laughs> now, when Ankalime was nine years old, her dad finally came back, and his welcome was about as warm as a liquid nitrogen enema. <laughs> so his dad... That sounds real cold. It sounds real cold, right? Ooh. So his dad, Meneldur, was like, son, ya effed up. Your wife is pissed. And Aldarion was like, yeah, I know, I'll make it up to her. And Meneldur was like, no, she's really, really pissed. And Aldarion was like, it'll be fine. It was not fine. Yeah, this is where, where Ron Howard come and say, it was not fine. It was not fine. So when Aldarion showed up at Arendus' house in a Marier, her initial reaction was, quote, You come late, my lord. I had long ceased to expect you. I fear there is no such welcome prepared for you as I had made when you were due. And Aldarion responded, Mariners are not hard to please. To which Arendus replied, that is well. And she begrudgingly let him in and had him serve dinner. Neither Arendus nor Ankalime ate with him. Oh, man. And then Arendus showed up at the very end of the meal and said, quote, You will be weary, my lord, after such haste. A guest room is made for you when you will. My women will wait on you. If you are cold, call for fire. Ooh. Then she took off again, refusing to share a bed with him. Ice cold. But, yeah, she probably came home and she's like, oh, I thought you died. Yeah. it's. it's I kind of hoped you had. I kind of hoped you had. Um, Aldarian actually had the nerve to get pissed about this. Of course he did. He's such a type. That his wife didn't want to sleep with him after he just like abandoned her for years and years. God. The next morning he got up and immediately started making preparations to leave. Again. So Arendus was like, quote, you leave more promptly than you came, my lord. I hope you have not found this house of women irksome already to go thus before your business is done. Indeed, what business brought you hither? May I learn it before you leave? To which Aldarian responded, I was told in Armenelos that my wife was here and had removed my daughter hither. As to the wife, I am mistaken. Ooh. Sick burn, dickhead. But <laughs> she... Again, he is such a type. He's such that guy. He's so... He's in the wrong and... He just makes everything, like, about him. It's like, the yeah, make everyone... He's the victim Women here. are so cold. I treat them horribly and then they're not nice to me? What the heck, dude? What's up with chicks? 
So anyway, Aldarian did meet with Ankalime briefly before he left, just to remind her that she was technically heir to the throne. Uh, Ankalime could not have given less of a crap. She was just like, who are you and why'd you make me get out of bed so early? Yeah, I don't even remember you, Dad. Um, I was trying to say Eldarian. Eldarian, yeah, exactly. She <laughs> called him by his first name at yeah. all times. Seeing that he wasn't going to get anywhere with his daughter either, Eldarian rode back to Armenelos to stay with his parents. Now, <laughs> going back to his parents' house. Yes. Here's where we get this twist that redeems Aldarian, or at least is supposed to redeem him. Um, I'll let you decide if it actually does or not. Okay, my judgment is clear right now. Okay. So, upon his return, Aldarian handed his father a letter from King Gilgalad, Lord of the Elves in Linden in Middle-earth. Meneldur now reads this letter, and it says that a servant of Morgoth, i.e. Sauron, has been stirring in the east. Each year it's gaining strength, and many men have already been drawn into its service. Gilgalad knows that the elves alone are not strong enough to withstand Sauron, and his heart has been greatly eased each time he's seen Aldarian's ships sailing into port. Actually, it turns out that one of the big reasons Aldarian has spent so much time in Middle-earth is that he's been trying to establish strongholds against Sauron. So Aldarian is good, actually. And in closing, King Gilgalad asking Meneldur to please send men to support the Elder in their time of need. Uh, I'm going to put that in the not really category. I don't think it, it really... You don't think it redeems him? I mean, he's trying to save a whole continent. Well, it's like... The... Like, chicks are chicks, but, like, this is a whole continent. Did he... He never brought it up. It's one of those things in movies where it's like, if they just had a conversation, there'd be no plot here. I'm actually right? not entirely sure, like, why he never brought it up, or if there was some reason why he couldn't. Was it a secret? Clearly not, because King Gilgalad just he told Meldor. Yeah. So, like, if that's what was going on, why didn't he say something? Seriously. Maybe that's... he didn't want to, you know, like, worry Arendis's little womanly mind. No, she's tough. She can take it. Maybe he decided it was just, you know, men's business. No, I don't think so. I think I think I think he should have brought it up sooner, if at all. And So then why he, didn't he? He shouldn't have to find out she shouldn't have to find out from an elf letter. I okay? mean she never found out. This oh, is just her dad. Worse. This is just or not her dad, her father in law. This is just Eldarian's dad. And it was like P S how my birds doing? How my birds doing? Whoops. So, <laughs> I don't know what happened to the tree, incidentally. We never hear what happened to the tree. I'm assuming that he probably used it. It probably became a boat. It probably became a boat, right? All right. So, Mendeldura is very upset by these tidings. Just like the atheist professor that got told off by Albert Einstein in that email <laughs> forward from your grandma, he immediately resigns. So <laughs> Punched he, by a marine. Yeah, so he abdicated the throne and transferred power to Eldarian, who now became Tar Eldarian. Arendus and Ankalime were sent for, but while Arendus acknowledged that Ankalime, as the next in line to the throne, would have to go live at the palace, she herself had no intention of doing so. So when Aldarian reads Arendus's response to the summons, he says, this is, just get this. Okay? okay, let me get this. Quote, it is far below my hope of her. She has dwindled, and if I have wrought this, then black is my blame. But do the large shrink in adversity? This was not the way, even in hate or revenge. She should have demanded that a great house be prepared for her, called for a queen's escort, and come back to Armenelos with her beauty adorned, royally, with that star on her brow. Then well nigh all the Isle of Numenor she might have bewitched to her part, and made me seem madman and churl. I would rather have it so, rather a beautiful queen to thwart me and fly me, then freedom to rule while the lady falls down dim in her own twilight. Quick, uh, Eldarion, just run this past real quick. Your blame is black. Your blame is 
super black dude. Black, not be black, black be your blame. Black as midnight on a moonless night, Aldarian. Also, Aldarian, shut up. Yeah, you're really long-winded. All I had to say was like, ugh, I'd rather be, you know, have a, have a nasty queen. Than no queen at all. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and please, please do tell us exactly how a woman should react when her husband abandons her and her child. Please do explain to please us. Please share, please share. Yeah, please share. Thank you for your thoughts. Black is your blame. Black is your blame, mother effer. So that's it for the story of Aldarian and Arendis, since Tolkien never totally finished this tale. Oh, it's an unfinished tale. Yes. Uh, there are scraps of outline that Christopher Tolkien includes. So we do know that all of Aldarian's labors in Middle-earth came to exactly jack squat. Mm-hmm. We also know that Ankali may remain a man-hater for the rest of her life and that she was dead set against marrying. Don't blame her. Uh, no. Tolkien describes an adult on Kalime thusly, quote, As she grew older, she became ever more willful, and she found irksome the company of Arendis, who behaved like a widow and would not be queen. But she continued to return to Amerie, both as a retreat from Armenelos and because she desired thus to vex Aldarian. She was clever and malicious and saw promise of sport as the prize for which her mother and her father did battle. <laughs> so basically... Just to piss her dad off, she would, like, go stay in the country. Pretty cool. She's like, screw you, dad. I'm gonna go hang out with sheep at my country manor. And she became queen? She did. She did. Now, uh, it seems that a law at some point had been ordained that a woman could not take the throne unless she was married. It's weird. Like, it's not that she would get married and then her husband would assume the throne. She would assume the throne, but she couldn't do it while she was single. Gotcha. I don't know why. Moreover, because Aldarian had had such a crappy time with Arendis, he made it so queens had to marry within the line of Elros. So you'll remember that Arendis was not of the line of Elros and thus was shorter lived than Aldarian. Oh, right. And I guess that was like a convenient thing to blame all their issues on. It's not my behavior. It's because her lifespan is so short. She's getting old fast. She's getting old fast and old women be crazy. So anywho, a bunch of highborn suitors showed up to Wu and Kalime and she was predictably disgusted. Right. To spite her death. Dad, she ran off again to a Marier and had a little fling with a shepherd boy. See, that's awesome. Good for her. Unfortunately, in a very unforeseen twist, the shepherd boy turned out not to be a shepherd boy. He was actually, surprise, surprise, on Kalime's distant cousin within the line of Elros, Halakar. Convenient. Convenient. So naturally, as soon as she found this out, Ankalime lost all interest in him. Yeah, of course. Unfortunately, though we don't have all the details, she did end up having to marry Halakar in the end. They had a baby boy who Ankalime had no interest in, and she resented Halakar even more for putting a baby in her in the first place. When people tried to prevail upon her to take care of her baby, she was like, what, I gotta coddle it like my grandma coddles my dad? Pfft. Give me a sheep, dude. Give me a sheep. Halakar, for his part, decided to move back to Amerie to escape his scary wife. <laughs> but then, Ankalime, just out of spite, announced that she technically owned the land he lived on in Amerie, and he wasn't allowed to live there anymore. That rules. <laughs> so also, none of the women who lived there were allowed to get married ever. See, she's a good queen. This is rule. As a screw you to his wife, though, Halakar invited her to a feast in Amerie, and when she got there, he revealed that it was actually a group wedding. <sighs> Everybody was getting married. All of the women and men at the park married, and Uncle May just sat in her room all night feeling pissed off. She's probably, yeah, real semen. She never went back to a Marier ever again. So, arguably, Uncle May's relationship with Halakar was even worse than Eldarian's relationship with Arendis. 
Because they but, basically hate each other from the beginning. But you know, you know, they say that that children, uh, you know, they they repeat the mistakes of their parents, right? They, they yes, yeah. just like nonstop, no holds barred. Thwarting. She wanted nothing to do with it, and then when she gets in that, she repeats the same mistakes. I mean, I would argue that she tried not to repeat the same mistakes, but they forced her to marry her cousin who pretended to be a shepherd boy. So yeah. Didn't have much of a choice. Speaking of horrendous, as she grew old, she became lonely and began to long for Eldarion. Hi. And she... I don't know. She inquired after him and learned that he was on a voyage to Middle-earth, but would be back soon. So she went to the port to wait for him. But this actually ended up being his last voyage ever, unfortunately. So... We don't know what happened after that. There's just this note from Tolkien that says, quote, Arendis perished in the water in the year 985. Oh, man. So did she drown herself? Um, we are not sure. Well, she just kept standing there till the tide came in and she just couldn't stop. She just couldn't. She had to keep waiting. She had to keep waiting. She's like, no, I I, I meant what I said and I said what I meant and horrendous faithful 1000%. Yeah. And she drowned. And that is a fitting end to this miserable tale of misbegotten romance. What a tale. Again, I don't think this is very appropriate now. It I mean, is, Ryan, it is. He sailed away and died. She died in the water. Their daughter had a horrible life. The sea. This is sort of like a palate cleanser. Like, oh, I, I know after listening oh. to this, you might be inclined to either love or hate the sea, but I'm guessing probably hate it, um, since you're more on Arendis side than you are on Aldarian. It tore this marriage apart. But I want to remind you, like, the sea didn't really do anything wrong. It was just Aldarian being, like, kind okay. of a douche. Yeah, right. I can't, I can't blame the body of water. So maybe this will, like, make you more favorably disposed towards the sea, you know? Nope. They did not live happily forever. Nope, the story was unfinished and they were both miserable. Yep. Forever. They missed out on the pot of gold, somehow. Pot of gold meaning a happy marriage and family. Now, I wonder, Tolkien never wrote it, but I wonder if, just like in this song, it turned out that the angels were aliens. Oh, maybe. Maybe. All this time. That's why he didn't come back. He got taken on a spaceship. He did. He did. He did. That was why it was his last voyage. The aliens finally took him into space and anal probed him to death. Jesus Christ, Joanna. That's what happens. No, it doesn't. That's what happens. Love angels. Okay, okay. Anywho, okay. Hold That's Eldarion and Horrendous. What do you got? Oh, good. We're back to this guy. Oh, yeah, Carrying that's right. The I hope you all filled out your bracket. Last week, we started our new March Madness bracket. This time, Jabba's Palace Madness, baby. Oh. Because it's still that... Time for the, the b-ball to be thrown, the, the jams to be slammed, Now, the what is dunks. the prize if you win the office bracket? Is it a $25 gift card to Olive Garden? Yes. Okay, great. I'm in it to win it, then. Now, I've actually filled out a bracket for you this week, because you're the judge of this competition. I am. And I think I know which ones you're going to pick. You think you know? Did you try to predict ahead uh, this of time? This is my, my, yeah, I filled out a fantasy Joanna draft. I think I know what she's going to do. <laughs> well, now I have to try and, like, thwart you, because no, you don't. if the no, you don't. No, you don't. taught me anything, marriage is all about thwarting. No, I want you to not learn that lesson. I want you to try to do exactly what your heart leads you. Which is not in the opposite direction of where I thought. All right, well, I'll give it a shot. Please don't be contrary, or I will hate you forever. And I will never get to go to Olive Garden. So, last week we had a bracket set up. Again, this is uh, Jabba's Palace Madness. This is where we're pitting the denizens of Jabba's Palace against each other to find out who is the most 
bestest palace person that exists under Jabba's rule. And so last week, the one that came out on top was Boobo the Frog Dog. Yeah, no, I'm still pretty much Team Boobo. Team Boobo. It's going to be a hard one to beat. We got a whole new set of brackets here this week, and who's, we're going to figure out who's going to go to the uh, finals against Boobo himself. So our first bracket here is a divergent tale, a tale that one side is very sad and one side is very uplifting and will most likely end in a dance off so wow are they gonna stomp the yard yeah so the first bracket we have we have ula versus yarna Daldgargan. okay now i don't know who either of those people are so ula looks like this Ah, one of the dancing slave girls more specifically the dancing slave girl that gets eaten by the rancor oh poor girl yes so this is our sad story so buckle up so Ula was a Twi'lek, whose father was chief on their home planet, Ryloth. Despite this, on Ryloth, you don't get a lot of female education. They kind of forbid it. Oh, that sucks. So instead, Ula attended a dance school. Where okay. she became proficient in dancing and grew many admirers, a whole crowd of them. I guess at least she has had some outlet for self-betterment. Including a fan named Bib Fortuna. Oh, no. Yeah. Clan custom gave Ula's father the, the right to sell her. Because he's the chief of their clan. Oh, sure. Yeah. Dads can just decide. They can dispense with their daughters as they wish. But Fortuna's like, oh, man, the way she stomps the yard, I, I can't. <laughs> yeah. he, he's never going to sell. What kind of dancing was it? Was it like hip-hop dancing? Yeah, it was, it was like, it was, yeah, it was like. Uh, Did she like, you know, like flatten out a cardboard box? And, and like, like spin on her head? Yeah. And, oh, she, she spun on her twin tails? Spun on her twin tails. Yeah, exactly. So he abducted her from Ryloth. Fortuna did. Well, he kind of talked to her and he like, listen, I got a big opportunity for you. You got to come with me. Your dad is never going to let you off this rock. We'll make it big, girl. We'll make it big. So abducted her off the planet. So she and another Twi'lek called Sienra were trained together as dancers. They were best buddies and were taken to Mos Eisley to work for Jabba. Uh, as they were in the city on their way to Jabba's palace, Luke Skywalker ran into them and attempted to set them free. Cool. From Bib Fortuna's clutches. Good. Sien agreed to it. She decided, yeah, I'll go with you, because they, they were being led by, like, a slave master, and Luke killed him. Yeah. Sien's like, oh, yeah, I want I like, out. This is my opportunity. Yeah, definitely. But Ula's like, I kind of want to see what palace life is like. Oh, Ula. And I can get out of any time, oh, right? Oh, Ula, girl, no, you cannot. You have been sold. Do you not understand what that means? So, naively, she did not realize she was in slavery conditions. This is not a right-to-work situation, and Ula. Bib Fortuna got her and took her to Jabba. And he beca- she became one of his favorite dancers. He was immediately enamored with her and chained her by the neck to his throne as his personal property God. and personal slave girl. I feel like if there's one thing that's almost as dangerous as being Jabba's least favorite, it's being Jabba's favorite. Yeah. Yeah. She was forced to dance for him as well as give pleasure when the depraved crime lord beckoned. How do you even do that? How do you give Jabba pleasure? How do you pleasure Now, that? there's no details. You remember that huts are these... They're, Hermaphrodite they're, gastropods. Right, right. They're not. They're neither male nor female. They're like big old slugs. Yeah. So I don't know how that works. They presumably have something. A lot of slime, I imagine, though. Yeah. She was determined to escape her horrible existence cool. in one way or another, no matter how. Defiled and miserable, fed only scraps, she could not decide whether it was better to keep enduring the hut's carnal embrace. Ugh, carnal. <laughs> the euphemism makes it almost grosser. Yeah. Until she could escape or die cleanly and well, escape that way. You know, do I keep going with this gross life until I can escape, or do I just die? I mean, I think I'd probably die. 
So once the heroes of Yavin, that is to say Luke and Han, and Han's and Carbon, he's already there, but Luke and, and Leia and Chewbacca and C-3PO showed up, Lulu was able to speak to C-3PO briefly, who told her that Luke was indeed going to return and rescue them, and her hope was renewed. Uh, her spirits high for the first time since her imprisonment, Lulu performed the best dance of her life, which unfortunately was also her last. God. Jabba was incredibly revved up by this incredibly oh. horned up and oh. pulled her in closer to pleasure him. Oh. And she refused. She said, no, Good. I got Good hope. You, I'm going to escape. But in the process, Jabba hit the button on his pedestal, sending her to the, the Rancor pit. Ooh, uh. So sad story, right? So she died. She died. That was her escape. However, there is a glimmer of hope. Her, she became a legend among dancers for, really? her, for, her, for her resistance against Jabba. Willing to put up with so much and being uh, a martyr for the cause, right? Ugh. And so there was actually an impersonator of her named what? Dame Nita who put on a nightly Ula tribute show at the Gardula Ula Hotel in Mos Eisley. Gardula Ula. Yeah, named after her. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's good that she got that at least, but I mean, like, you she, well, you should have just gotten out while you could. Her friend Sienna did. She did decided the wrong choice. Well, that was a bad choice. One fun fact before we move on. They did extra coverage for Return of the Jedi, like, of Jabba's Palace. Yeah. And they needed Ula back for it. I'm like, oh, man, we gotta find a young actress to do this. But it turned out that the original actress, uh, Femi Taylor, yeah. was basically unchanged after 14 years. What? And so really? all those extra shots of her in Return of the Jedi are the same actress. No way! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like for no the special way. edition. Yeah. That is so wild. Yeah, so she, it's the she, same actress. She aged well. You're yeah. like, wow, you know, you're still like, she was still in shape mm-hmm, and still mm-hmm. able to dance and yep, stuff. Yep. And that's cool. Good for her, right? That is cool. Good for her. I have a question. Okay, yeah. So Jabba does not technically have a gender, but he does seem to prefer the female. Of yes. various species, and I just wonder how that came about. Like, why is he attracted to females not of his own well, species? If, if you remember in our Huts episode, there was a mention that some Huts would get proclivities toward non-Hut species. He just liked boobs? Next competitor may answer a few of your questions, and that's Yarna Dalgargan, another dancer under Jabba. Yeah. She's one that you might recognize as well. Here's her. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Does she have um six breasts? She is the dancer with six boobs. Cool. Yes. Yarna Del Gargan was an Ascagian dancer at Jabba's Palace. Ascagians. So she's a species where all the females have six breasts. Externally, they're very similar to humans. Yes. Except for those breasts. See, again, I think that Jabba just got into boobs. He I might don't have. know how that happened. Maybe he just, like, trolled the hut equivalent of deviant art a lot and stumbled <laughs> across this, like, weird subculture that's just, like, we are way into boobs. Well, they're like. Way into boobs. Yeah, maybe it was, like. Maybe he was like a furry, but his fursona was a human. With boobs. With boobs. With boobs. His alter ego, yeah. And instead of, you know, getting inflated to monstrous proportions, <laughs> they just grew more boobs. Possibly. Yeah. I think that's a thing. That's a fetish. Interesting. Is growing more boobs a fetish? I'm not actually looking it up It probably is. is. Growing more boobs I is almost guarantee if you search for Yarno Del Gargan on DeviantArt, you will find some absolutely despicable stuff. Of just so many boobs. So many boobs. So Ascagians, they came from a desert planet, and so those six breasts, as well as their bodies, were able to uh, retain water really oh, well. Like, like a camel's they were, they were able to, yeah, they were water storage. No way! Yeah. Stop! That's such a flimsy excuse they could go, to have a character so many boobs. <laughs> they go weeks without water. Because they stored it in the, water is stored in the boobs. Now, an Ascagian could shut up to 60% of the water in their body with no effect other than tremendous slimming. Oh, 
okay. So most of that is water weight that we're looking at on her. Got it. Yeah, because she's got a different body type than the other dancers. She is she's a larger. A, she's, a, she's a large march. She's a big she's girl. She's a larger lady. Um, but you're saying that she could just like squirt sixty percent of that out and it, it'd be fine if she wanted. Yeah, and she probably doesn't want to because Tatooine's dry as hell. Right, she wants to maintain that water. Yes. In Ascagian culture, a skilled dancer acted as a shaman and lore master and reenacted tribal history and legend, leading the worship of their main goddess, the Moon Lady. So on her home planet, Yarna was kind of a big deal. Really? As a dancer. Well, then how did she end up here? We'll talk about that. Okay. One more thing about Ascagians. Their younglings were called cubs or cublings. <laughs> man cub. Man cub. They man were literally cub. man cubs, yeah. Six-breasted man cubs. Well, did they have litters? Because then that makes that makes more sense to me than the water thing in terms I think of they did. having so many boobs. It didn't really say, but it makes sense if they had litters, they call them cubs, right? Yeah. So, like Ula, Yarna was the daughter of an Ascagian tribal chief, and she married a... Another Eskagian named Nautog Dalgargan, and they had three children together. While raising her cubs with Nautog on Askaj around 3 ABY, they were taken as slaves to Tatooine, captured, rounded up. Because Eskagians were kind of a, they're kind of a primitive species. They had tribal culture. They rode around these big woolly mammoth things and yeah. hunted in the desert and stuff. And brought to Jabba. Nautog was almost immediately killed by Jabba's rancor while trying to defend them. And her cublings were sent to Jabba's townhouse, almost as... Col- townhouse? And this sounds nice for them. His but- cute little brownstone. And they were, like, taken care of, but they were obviously collateral, keeping Yarna oh, yeah. in his oh, service, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's, like, one of the oldest tricks in the book in terms of, like, human traffickers. I have a question. Yeah. Do the males of the species also have massive boobs for storing well, water? I assume they have the same epidermal stacks. That's what they, Is that what they sorry, call them? Epi- epidermal sacs. Yeah. Epi- epidermal sacs. Yes. So they also have six boobs. Because otherwise it does not really make that much sense. I think they do have it. Yeah. Okay. Yep. She claimed that the name Yarna translated into basic as pretty. Okay. However, her beauty was often hidden behind the warp makeup that Jabba forced her to wear, Aww. saying that it reminded him of his mother, or in this case, Zorba. I'm sorry. Um... So, remember, remember her thoughts are hermaphrodites, and they have a baby. It goes in a little brood pouch. And Zorba... That, that's where that's where Jabba grew up in his brood pouch. Paging Dr. Freud. <laughs> so he had Yarna put up in warts. You had this sexy dancer right. dressed up to look like your mom. Yeah, so he put her in warts, made oh, her made her fatten up. So much to unpack there, Jabba. So much. Because like when she came there, she was actually pretty skinny because she didn't have all that water weight, but Jabba forced her to take in all that water to look more like To look more like his mother, mother father mother. Zorba. To look more like his mother father. Yes. So okay. Boy, I, I feel like we don't need to dig that deep into that. Pretty weird, huh? Yeah. Although she detested her Boston owner, she was nonetheless close friends with many of the patrons of the palace, uh, while working, well, including a big game hunter named Doalin. He had come to Tatooine to hunt a crat dragon so that he could fight it against Jabba's rancor. Oh, man, I'm going to catch this. Let's make him fight. Well, that's what Jabba hired him to do. Was, sweet. He wanted to get a crate dragon to fight his rank. Wouldn't it be cool if we made him fight? It'd be sweet, dude. It'd be like Pokemon. However, after a night of heavy drinking and gambling in the palace, Dwalin found he had somehow lost a debt and was now in Jabba's service for a year's time. But she, he became friends with Yarna. He's in the movie as the guy that, that Chewie throws down the stairs. When oh, he arrives. That guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Dwalin was a Garen, which was a species that required Hydron 3 gas to breathe on oxygen rich planets like Tatooine. 
So after Jabba died, he needed some of that Hydron 3 that Jabba was keeping in his back rooms. And Yarna knew all about it. She was, yeah. she was really familiar with the palace. However, Yarna was worried about a fellow named Danik Jericho, who was lurking the palace and killing people at random. That creep. Remember him? He's the little um, space vampire. Yes. Who sucks out people's brain soup. Yep. He showed up a few times. You talked about him in most Isley Bandits and also in the Galaxy of Fear books. So he just like, he's just showing up. This guy just gets around. Remember, he's like hundreds and hundreds of years he's old. He's like so everybody's brain juice. He's herb buddies. So Dwalin agreed, I'll be your bodyguard if you take me to the, to the Hydron 3. And on the way, they were approached by Danik, Jericho, and Dwalin was able to scare him away by shooting him. So that was cool. Cool. All right. He didn't so, die, but... Just case scared. Yeah. <laughs> you shot me. I'm so scared. While fleeing toward Mos Eisley, the speeder that they were in crashed into a sandpit that just happened to be the lair of a crate dragon and oh, woke it up. No. Dwalin had a struggle with it, but managed to kill it in one shot by shooting the sinus cavity oh. and his goings in his mouth. Oh. Perfect. And he was able to recover the dragon pearls from his gizzard. If you remember, those are like the special pearls that develop that are worth a lot of money. Yes. Inside the crate dragon's body. Yes, yes, yes. But he was knocked out as his Hydron 3 ran out. He could not breathe. He suffocated. Oh, no. So Yarna managed to get him and the pearls back into the speeder and rushed them to Mos Eisley, where she quickly exchanged the pearls for more Hydron 3 gas, a starship, and most importantly, the freedom of her cubs. Oh, man. Yarna, see, it's definitely going to be Yarna this round. I that, okay. Because Yarna, Yarna, I mean, like, Ula, I mean, like, bless her. She had, a, she had a terrible life. I feel like Ula seems quite naive. Yes. And Yarna seems quite resourceful. Absolutely. Um, I also think she's just, like, older and has had more life experience, too. I get the sense that Ula might have been kind of, like, how could you say? Like, shut away in the dance schools. Not like Not a ton yeah. of life experience. So I think like, it's got to be Yarna for this round. Well, Yarna's not done. We got more for Yarna. Oh, okay. It, it, gets, it gets even better. She has oh, a good life. More. Yeah, Yarna is a... Uh, she's a tough single mom with attitude, you know? That's, oh, nice. What, that's what I like about her. After rescuing her cubs, Yarna and Dwalin became traders in jewels and textiles. She often danced for extra credits. In fact, she even danced the dance of 70 violet veils at the wedding of Han Solo and Leia Organa. Really? They hired her, yeah. And she didn't have to drive up like Jabba's mom. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> she, was, she was back to her skinny weight at that point. At the wedding, she was spotted by a designer who used her as a model for his jeweled brassiers. Yeah. I mean, she's got, she can put on three at a time. I mean, can, I mean, like that's, you can model so many, like, that's a lot of bang for your buck. And Dwalin managed her career as a model. She actually had two daughters and a son with her husband, who was killed by the Rancor, unfortunately. Her two daughters were named Luca and Leia, actually. Oh! Because they were born around the time that the Death Star blew up and they were yeah, big yeah, fans. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then her son was Nautog after his father. Aww. Yarna's children became a jizz swing band. <laughs> okay. I know, bad name, but they became a rock band and yes. toured the galaxy with their mom and Dwalin. She had a good life, all things Tell considered. Tell you what. Like, she broke out of a bad human trafficking situation, and she was like a self-made woman, and- She got warts put on her face. She got warts like put on her face to look like a mom-dad. Zorba the Hutt. Now, we, we already actually referenced this, but I think it's funny how, like, inflation has basically come up again. Because yes. I bet that's, like, another theme uh, on DeviantArt when oh. it comes to fan art oh. of Yarna. The fact that she can, like, change weight so drastically. Oh my god, yeah. People are gonna be into it. That's huge. Into it. That's huge. Literally I mean, huge. she's she's huge, yeah. 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 So you say in this in this bracket, Ula has to take a seat. Yes. Yarn is the winner here. Oh, it's Yarna. It's Yarna by far. Okay. Yarna moving on. Our next bracket pits Gartog and the Gamorrean Guards. Yes. Against Barada. Now looking at Gartog, he looks basically like a moblin. So yeah, guard. If you don't know what a Gamorrean guard is, they're like the pig boys who guard Jabba's palace. Yes, the big green guys got little horns on their head, big old tusks, big furry, you know, 
tunics on. And they look like moblins. They look like moblins from Zelda. They should, yeah. like, get back in the evil jar. Exactly. So Gartog was one of the nine Gamorrean guards working in Jabba's palace. Now, I, as a kid, I thought there were a ton of guards. There's actually only nine in the palace. Was it not that big? Well, I think other people working for them that were not Gamorrean guards. Yeah. But I thought it was interesting. There's only nine of them. They're kind of the elite of the guards. Okay. Now, I was really surprised. There's a really long article on Gamorrean life and, like, wow. the species. Yeah. So I have a few choice details to kind of set the scene for Gartog. Okay, here. I'm ready. So they were derogatorily known as pig lizards and were porcine humanoids from the jungle planet of Gamor. I don't see the lizards. I see the pigs. Well, they have sure. horns and, like, kind of scaly lizards skin. don't have... Okay, sure. Whatever, we'll just go with it. They were strong and primitive, organized into clans, and were fond of their traditional war axes called Argaroks. They were mostly viewed as mindless, intellectually inferior by other species because the way their physiology was, they were physically unable to pronounce basic. Oh. Only language they could speak intelligibly was Gamorese. Got like, it. Like, like snorts, Just and, like snorts. And, snorts and gurgles, yeah. Oh, okay. Snorts and gurgles. That's a very racist way of describing So it, everyone but, okay. thought they were stupid, but they, you know, they could talk to each other. Yeah. Just fine. So there's an interesting fact I didn't know. Gamorians were typically covered by a number of parasitic bloodsuckers named to Gamor called morts. Sorry? They showed great affection for the morts and considered them to be adorable pets. The number of morts that a Gamorian hosted was related to their status within a clan. A clan warlord or matron could have up to 20 of these parasites feeding like, on them. Look at me. I'm so attractive to parasites. But they'd be like, oh, they're so cute. Look at all these, these little collections. does that mean that, like... This the- is Mitzi. This is Fifi. This is Princess. And- but does that mean yeah. that, like, the higher ranked you are, like, the more parasites are feeding off you, the more, like, anemic and sickly you are? I got more blood to give, baby. I feel like if you're supposed to be, like, an elite warrior, you can't afford to be, like, constantly losing bodily fluids. I got blood to spare. All right. I guess they just had a lot of blood. They did. Maybe that's, like, a trait of their species. Maybe it's, like, a symbiotic relationship because they're just all born with just way too much blood. I mean, yeah. That's too not somewhere. much blood. So, males were called boars. Females were called sows. Okay. Makes and while sense. boars did all the battle and warfare between clans, they sent them to fight. They loved to fight. And meanwhile, sows did all the useful work in the Gamorrean society, and they owned and leased all the property on the planet. Got it. So they were just, like, getting along with, like, a functional society, and then the guys are all just out, like, fighting. Yes. It was just kind of like... Mm, a little bit disconnected from anything that yeah, they actually needed. Yeah, a little bit. Like, whatever. So the women were capable of being as rough as the males, and they actively encouraged boars to engage in bloody acts of violence to demonstrate their virility. Cool. <laughs> I-, I do, too. Here's the fun fact, too. Uh, a sow typically had over a dozen husbands during her life, because boars died a lot in fighting. Oh, yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. A lot oh, of husbands. Oh, man. <laughs> well, okay. I mean, you just So was there, like, um, like, a, like a, was the gender balance skewed accordingly? Probably. Yeah, it would have to be, But they would dine a lot, so... It's like, oh, oh well, next. Next. This is also fun. I love the way they name things. They're this classic, like, just big, brutish, goofy, like, we fight under time species. They had four seasons on Gamor. Crop time, cold time, slush time, and war time. Um, we have the same four seasons in Michigan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. War time's coming up. War time is coming up. We're getting ready. We're in slush time right now. That's what this. That's what this. Uh, this March Madness bracket it is, is, is yeah. preparation for, for war it's time. Like the dress rehearsal for war time. Most Gamorians hated hated droids and mechanical devices for no reason, and they would often needlessly. <laughs> I love how it says for no reason. They would often needlessly destroy a droid if given the opportunity. They're just luddites. I don't no trust these. I hate technology. These paper machines. I mean, I presume they did have like some reason or justification in their own mind but I do love the fact that Wikipedia is like for no good reason. Yeah. Anyway that's some Gamorrean facts. I think it kind of sets the scene for what these guys are like. Yeah. Let's get back to our boy Gartog. Okay. 
He was the least intelligent of Jabba's guards, <laughs> even by Gamorrean standards. He was dumb as hell. He was constantly trying to impress his boss named Ortug and the rest of the guards, but mostly was seen as a nuisance by everyone. Because he's just dumb as hell. Too dumb. He also didn't know how to speak in full sentences. Even in, even in Gamorrean's. Oh, jeez. So he has like... I mean, he could if he wanted to, he just didn't. He has like a legit impairment. He might be a bit disabled, yeah. Yeah. He really, really wanted to go on Jabba's sail barge. That was his dream. But Ortug always told him no. You're too dumb to go on the sail barge. <laughs> He's straight up just like, kid, you're an idiot. So one day he was snuffling around the palace looking sad, doing his solo patrol. Why am I so stupid? Everyone's leaving me out of stuff. He found a dead body. The body of, <laughs> the body of Flegman, who was Jabba's kitchen boy. Oh no. When he reported it, Ortug told him, Okay, okay, Gartog, if you solve the mystery of who killed Flegman, I'll let you go on the sail barge. Just trying to, like, keep him busy. Knowing full well he would not figure it out. <laughs> not exactly Poirot on the case, like. He's like, it's gonna be a big one, we're gonna throw some Jedi in the pit this time, and all of his friends, it's gonna be great, there's a Wookiee who's gonna get tossed oh, in. Oh, you definitely gotta see that. Gartog got all excited, so he... he... I'm gonna solve a mystery, oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> so he slung Flegman's corpse over his shoulder and went off to we play just, detective. He was carrying the corpse around. Typically, now, detectives do not do that. It's like, evidence, he needs all the Holmes, evidence he can get. I don't think Sherlock Holmes was ever, like, carrying the corpse with him. <laughs> nope. <laughs> So, As you can see, he is dead. So this is all from a story from the Tales of Jabba's Palace. And it's a really funny story. I really like it. It's not canon now, I don't think, but it's still worth a read. It's Gartog wandering around the palace with this dead body over his shoulder asking questions. And meanwhile, <laughs> the body just keeps decomposing. Oh, God. <laughs> it's really funny. I don't know. It's just like so goofy. So like, here's an example. I can't really do it justice. Here. Somebody's like, you don't have to do that. You can put the I mean, the book, I was like, why are you carrying that around? I was like, it's evidence. And so, <laughs> so here's a, here's an excerpt from the book that this kind of, kind of gives you a taste. Maybe sail barge, Gartog said optimistically to the kitchen boy. Some sort of maggot crawled into the kitchen boy's ear. A blackened tongue hung from the slack mouth. Other bugs wandered all over the corpse's face. Go see sail barge, said Gartog. Want to? The corpse dripped, still dripped fluids of various colors and vicosities, uh, and the little bugs ate more and more of the retaining, remaining tissue. Still, the body had become a little lighter than before. Gartog plodded through the docking area behind Jabba's throne room, where the sail barge waited, just to gaze at it a moment. Oh my god! So he's talking to oh it. He's like, <laughs> this is like such a juxtaposition yeah. of like innocent idiocy and like just dark, dark, like a rotting Black body. Black humor. It's so good. I'm into it, actually. I'm really into it. Later, he finds the body of a Bomar monk. We talked about those last week. He just keeps finding bodies. Yeah. Why is the stupidest guy in the palace the one He's really good at bodies? it. He finds three bodies in this story. What? <laughs> There's one earlier I didn't mention because it was not really relevant to the story, but he has a real talent for, for it. finding bodies. So he found a Bomar monk. We talked about those last week. They put their brains into spider bodies. Yes. This is a guy who wasn't a spider yet. He was just a regular monk. And he had died. He had died. He had, a, he had this big bloody slash through his chest and a bystander with a bloody axe told Gartog that the monk is only meditating and he's trying to get his brain out of a his chest. bystander <laughs> with a bloody axe? Yeah. He's just meditating. Oh, okay. And so he's like, don't worry about the, he's just trying to get the brain out of his chest and reach enlightenment. You the know brain that? out of, wait, is his that, brain in his chest? No. He's just like, that's, <laughs> that's where the bowler monks keep their brains. Of course. And Gartog's like, oh yeah, of course. And so... <laughs> Can't meditate here! He bent down and worked the body of the monk over his free shoulder. Then he straightened. Maybe this mysterious monk meditating with the brain in his bloody chest was part of the conspiracy regarding the kitchen boy. So wait, so he has one corpse over each shoulder He has now. two dead bodies he's carrying around. He's just like laying down all these dead bodies he keeps finding. And no one has the answers. He's puzzled because there's no evidence how these people died. <laughs> but wait! Aha, he says. That was the clue all along. Gartog returns to Ortug, his boss, with the solution to the conspiracy. The snot vampire! 
What's a snot vampire? Ortug blinked. Who? Snot vampire! Gartog shouted. Ortug's voice dropped to a cautious whisper. Danic Jericho? Aha! Gartog yelled again. Um, go sail barge now? Ortug glared in mystified silence at Gartog. Go sail barge? Gartog repeated hopefully. Why do you think Danic Jericho killed this kitchen boy? No evidence! There's no evidence? And snot vampire never leave evidence, so he guilty! <laughs> Ortug's shoulders sagged. Gartog, get out of here before I cut your head off for the sand inside it. Gartog! Snart vampire not guilty? Gartog whimpered. No! And when you come back, it'll be ground pork for Java's dinner! Ortug shoved him out of the way and stomped angrily to the sail barge, leaving Gartog alone with his companions. I mean, I don't know what you expect, Ortug. You put literally the dumbest guy in the universe on the case. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did you expect? As usual, Gartog be left behind. But on the other hand, he was no longer alone. He squatted down facing his two friends. Gartog looked from the kitchen boy to the monk and back. What you guys want to do now? That's the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least he made friends with, like, two dead people. After the sail barge exploded, Gartog left Tatooine and began working for a smuggling ring, still carrying the mummified corpses of Flegman and the Bomar monk oh, wherever he went. Them? Yep, he was friends. Aww. It's very charming. That's a sweet story. So that's Gartog. That's a really funny story. I think it's great. I love it. Yeah. The next is... Okay, these guys have a kind of a boring story. I'm actually not going to tell you much about them. I think their names will tell you all you need to know. Oh, boy. So we're talking about Barada. Yeah. And his friend, Klaatu. Uh-huh. Whose species N- was N- a Nikto. Nikto, yup, yup. I saw that one coming. These guys. Yup. I mean, they look cool. They're like the guys on the sail barge with spears, and they get thrown in the pit, and they kind of have a boring story. Like everyone else, they want to kill Jabba. They're the mechanics for Jabba's skiffs. Yeah. There's a bomb planted in there, but they get thrown in the Sarlacc pit before it can go off. There's so many bombs in the sail barge. There's like a lot. Like how many people put bombs on this sail barge? There's like 17 bombs on this barge. So who's going to win? Garthog or Barada and Klaatu the Nikto? I mean, I don't want to say that I... I literally think Bar- Bartog's gonna win. Like, I don't think Gartog is actually gonna win, but his story's really funny, so I'm just gonna say he's gonna win. Gartog! Gartog's gonna win. Hey man, well, listen, he survived. These two guys died. He survived and those two guys died. He survived just, like, purely by virtue of being too stupid to get to go on the sail barge. Yes. And so I think that's just, like, a win in my book. Also, he's carrying around these, like, disease-infested corpses. They could, like, presumably make someone sick. You got it. And die. And die. And die. Also, he's very good at finding dead bodies. Maybe he just found their dead bodies. He did find their dead bodies. <laughs> yeah, the I think he's probably the one that found them. Yes. <laughs> All right. So now we have our semifinal here. Yarna up against Gartog. I mean, I think you know the answer to this. I think I do because my bracket has Yarna in for you. Yeah. For fantasy. Of course. <laughs> it's definitely going to be Yarna. It's definitely going to be. I mean, like, Gartog is very funny. He is funny. Yeah. He is a lovable character. But ultimately, he is very stupid, and Yarna is not, so he's going down. All right, final he's time. He's going to find the last dead body he finds is his own. Oh, gosh. He's Yarna's going to kill him? He finds his own dead body. Yeah, she's going to kill him. I thought that's what this was. I mean, maybe. It could just be a dance-off, like with Ula and Yarna. Oh, well, then she be, definitely it could be like a, like It could be like a wit-off, you know? No, no, oh, well, yeah, Between, no. between EB-99 uh, and she, Bib. I think she probably kills him, and then he finds his own dead body, and then he carries his own dead body over his shoulder. That's sweet. Yeah. All right, finals. Bubo and Yarna. Bubo, again, the frog dog. Super smart. Everyone thinks he's an unintelligent little dog. Becomes a Bomar monk. Outwits everybody. Yarna, the single mom with a surviving attitude. The, she, she's got this, this endurance to live. Who is coming out on top? I think 
Yarn is more versatile than Bubo. I think Bubo is a lot smarter than people give him credit for, but that's because people give him no credit whatsoever. Sure. Um, also, like, his brain is in a jar. It's true. He doesn't care about fighting. He's got enlightenment now. He doesn't care now. about fighting. He's got enlightenment. Like, he, he, he doesn't have, like, exactly. He doesn't have something else to live for. Uh, he's cool with just being a brain in the jar. Yarna's got kids. She wants to live for those kids. Want to see him on their, on their jizz whaling career. She wants, exactly. She's, she's total stage mom about their jizz whaling. And, um, and I, I, yeah, I just really think that she's got a more versatile skill set. Very good. So that means the champion of Jabba's Palace Madness is Yarna! Yarna! Yarna, you did it! Alright! Yarna Del Gargan! And she did the whole thing while dressed up like Mom Dad. Amazing. Amazing. Is so, that what you had pegged? I thought Boo was gonna win, but I had the other two pegged. I need to pick Yarna, I need to pick Gartog, because I kind of stacked the tables a little bit. But... A little bit, a little bit. I mean, it was kind of like obvious where, uh, where things were going. But thank you for taking part in my March Madness this year. Now, one thing I want to ask you, because something I that I get a little rushed out of when I read these stories and stuff, do you like the interconnectivity? Like, when I was a kid, that was my favorite part about these. Be like, oh, I know Danic Jericho. Oh, yeah, oh, no. Oh, I know Bib Fortuna. And, like, you know, you get kind of sort of like, ooh, it's a little buzz. Like, you kind yeah, of, I like it. I, I think, like, um, that probably wasn't why they were name-dropped so many times. It probably wasn't for continuity's sake. It, it was probably more just like, we have to throw in names kids will recognize so they'll buy these books. Sure. Like, I'm almost positive. Because, like, realistically, why is Danny Jericho, like, everywhere? Like, he is well, he's, everywhere. He's just the tattooing, you know, vampire monster. And then he goes off with the Aranda kids and tries to suck their brains, too. Yeah. So. But well, actually, he doesn't. He tries to suck the assassin's brain. Presumably. And then he leaves the book halfway through. Presumably, it's like a universe of, like, just trillions of people because it's like multiple inhabited worlds yeah so it makes no sense why the same guys would keep showing up again and again but um but yeah it's exciting see as a kid i liked the interconnectivity but as an adult i'm like it seems really coincidental all these people would keep running into each other yeah it is you know, like ula just happens to run to luke in town and stuff like that literally so. everybody runs into luke that's yeah. like the annoying part is that like everybody has to run into luke han and or leia at, at a given time at any i mean time. yarna danced for leia at her at her wedding it's like, like how uh yeah. I don't know. Like, there's probably billions of dancers in the world. Why would it necessarily be her? I think it's because the Force binds them all together. Well, maybe it's because, like, they got to be friends when Leia was also enslaved by there Jabba. You, I don't oh, maybe. know. Maybe. Yeah, that's a good point. But that's honestly, like, a tighter connection than, like, most of what you see in these stories. Definitely. It's just, like, this character is in it because this character is in it. Because kids know this character right. that sells books. And I don't know how many kids knew Danic Jericho, though. I mean, you did. Yeah, I was a nerd. Anyway. You and the other 30 kids that were probably the main ones buying the books. Oh, yeah, baby. And when I came to Danny Jericho showed up in multiple stories, I was like, oh, yes. This guy. This guy. He rules. Hey, I know him. I know him. So that's my stories. And that's what I got. That's what you got. We've got each other. We learned a lot. What now? The worst, the worst, the worst, the worst, the worst name challenge. I was hoping you'd say that. Which went exactly how I expected it to. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yes, really. What's that mean? Uh, that means that Chica Chubb was trounced by Merp Merp Poo, which, how could she not be? Merp Merp How could she not be? Merp Merp Poo. That name was invented for worst name challenges. Absolutely. So, do you have a challenger this week, or should we... Oh, no, I do not. Uh, I, I am tapped dry. I think at this point we're going to have to have another bracket. Ooh, okay. So one bracket ends, as is another bracket this very week. So I think we'll talk about this off the air, but we'll come up with something even, maybe not better, but equally fun and interesting. Just throw at you every week. Yeah. 
A new competition. A new competition, which we have not come up with yet, but hopefully will soon. I still want to see what's the number one worst name of all the names you come up with. I think we, I might do that. Maybe have so a bra- like, make a bracket for that. Let the people vote. I so like it. Rank the worst names and tell us the definitive answer of which one is truly the worst. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. I have a, a suspicion of what it's going to be, but I still want to hear it. Yeah, okay. All right, cool. Well, that's all we have. Ryan, I hope you enjoy abandoning me to go to uh, sunny Florida. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really enjoyed you abandoning me last weekend. That was fun. Hey, I did that because I was working. I was literally gathering material for this podcast. You will not be doing that in Florida. You'll be what? Like looking at dolphins. That has nothing to do with the podcast. We don't talk about dolphins on this podcast. Oh, also be hanging out with your parents. Like, oh, oh, look at me. We're a happy family that enjoys spending time together. Hey, uh. you know what? Star Wars is a story about family, okay? Is it? Is I mean, that the main thrust of Star Wars? Think about it. What's the main thrust of the stories? The Skywalker family. That, like, kiss each other. Kissing siblings. It's about the familial ties. The moms and the dads and the kids. Are you really trying to spin this like your free trip to Florida is, like, I'm somehow gonna, Star Wars related? I'm going to learn a lot. I'm going to get in the insight. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a dolphin. All right. Are you going to ask a dolphin? Ask a dolphin about family. Yeah. What's family mean to you, dolphin? How do you, how do you balance work and family? So, okay. So- <laughs> Not next week, but two weeks from now. Look forward to Ryan's report on what family means to dolphins. Anywho, uh, that's all for today, Ebits. And Hobwalks, rate us up on iTunes, go our email, go our Facebook, all that fun stuff. You've heard it every time. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye.